as if there could be a world of absolute innocence in which we forget ourselves. The owners throw sticks and half-balled tennis balls toward the surf, and the happy dogs leap after them as if catapulted. Black dogs, tan dogs, tubes of glorious muscle pursuing pleasure more than obedience. They race, skid to a halt in the wet sand. Sometimes they'll plunge straight into the foaming breakers. Like diving birds, letting the green turbulence toss them until they snap and sink. Teeth into floating wood, then bound back to their owners, shining wet with passionate speed for nothing, for absolutely nothing but joy. I'm Jenny B, and this is it actually. This is it actually. Take a sip and grab a seat, cause this is it. The poem I read in the opening is called The Dogs at Live Oak Beach, Santa Cruz, and it was written by Alicia Ostriker. If you follow my personal account on Instagram, you'll know that my wee house of three recently acquired a new scruffy, fluffy family member. After years and years of asking, or actually begging for a dog, I finally decided to turn my never gonna happen into yeah, let's do this thing at Christmas. I threw in a little surprise factor, the old envelope in the tree just before dinner trick, and, well, their reaction was the bee's knees. I taped it, and our little video ended up being picked up by a few big social media accounts, all in the feel-good spectrum, and even now when I watch it back, I totally get choked up. Their happiness at finding out they were getting a dog is pretty heartwarming, and not just because they're mine. They both broke into sobs, and my littlest fell to the ground in a very dramatic and true-to-Izzy fashion. It was all so fun, and I felt great, and they were hyper with anticipation and pumped to be picking her up the next day, but that night it hit me. Okay, so tomorrow we're going to have a dog. I had done a lot of research, and you have to know this was not on a whim. I'd been thinking about it for years, well, since they could first start asking, actually. But it's still a giant commitment that would change our lives, and I worked pretty hard to design this life that we're all living, so deep breaths were definitely in order. All along the decision-making way, I did have a couple of factors that were non-negotiables. The girls had to be older because, hello, adding a dog means adding more work, and this mama has enough on her plate as is. Two, as much as I love big dogs, I knew ours would have to be small just for my sanity and our actual living space. And three, I was naming her. Okay, I know that could possibly fall under mean mommy territory, but I was set on having a dog named after Elvis, so it was never going to be anything other than Miss Presley. Big surprise, they didn't care about any of that stuff. They started calling this imaginary dog Presley long before I agreed to get her, and we actually got a handmade name tag for her months before she was even born. And here we are now, six months into having this little ridiculous bundle of pure joy, and I'm blessing you with endless pictures of her on Instagram. You're welcome. But the truth is, I've always been a dog person. We've actually had a cat for almost 11 years, and she's nice and we're good to her. My youngest daughter absolutely adores her, still gives her all the attention in the world, even with a pup in the house. But for me, the dog's the thing. When I was just five or maybe six years old, my dad brought home a puppy. Of course, I was too little to remember the steps leading up to that. I'm sure there must have been lots of conversation. But in my mind, he just showed up one day with this brown and white fluff ball. We named him Muffin. 
For the first little while, he lived in a giant cardboard box at the bottom of the basement stairs. I think that's how things were done back then. And I suspect my mom did most of the training because, you know, moms. He was funny, like most dogs are. He did things that just became commonplace to us, and I'm not sure they were ever actually taught to him. It was just stuff he started doing. There were always people coming and going at our place. I mean, it was a family of seven with a store attached to the house, so I don't think we ever really closed down or locked up. It was a constant revolving door. So Muffin would just sit out front of the store and greet customers. He never left the property or ran away. He was just always there. We didn't really walk him very much. He hung out in the backyard and he was kind of a store dog. He taught himself to jump up and hit the handle of the screen door at the back of the house when he needed to go out to the yard. And he used to wait for me after school in the same spot every single day. He would head out around 3 or 3.15 and patiently wait for me to come home. In the winter, Dad would have all the snow plowed in our parking lot out front, and they would make two giant hills of snow at either side of the property. The problem was, the one pile closest to the giant store sign was where Muffin would sit to wait for me. So instead of finding a new spot, or even just laying at the bottom, he would climb to the very top and sit in his snow-covered spot. And I'm not talking about a little pile of snow here. This thing was as tall as the sign, like I'm thinking it was 20 feet high. He actually made it into the paper a few times. If I can find the article, I'm going to put it on my stories. He was 12 or 13 years old when we sold the store and we moved to our new house, but he never fully adjusted. He hated being on a leash for the first time ever, but people kept finding him up at the store sitting outside waiting for us to come back. It kind of became a joke in our family because my dad, who was diagnosed with brain tumors just before we moved, also never fully adjusted, and the two of them were constantly trying to go back home. I mean, we weren't laughing at them, but in situations like that, you kind of have to find your funnies where you can. When Muffin got sick, he actually drank some antifreeze that someone left out by their car. My mom came to the school to get me because we needed to go see him at the vet to say goodbye. I was on the football field and there was a game and my mom pulled up and waved me over and when she told me what was happening, I just jumped in the car and left without telling anyone where I was going. The next day when I got to school, people were kind of shocked to see me because they thought my dad had passed away. I really do miss living in a small town sometimes. When my mom died a few years ago, we found a random list, I think it was a post-it, of some of her passwords for computers and accounts and banking, etc., one of the most popular ones included a combo of letters and numbers with Muffin's name thrown in the mix. I could not stop laughing. I think I fell to the floor with tears running down my face. That dog had been dead for almost 30 years, but there he was, keeping alive and well as one of mom's most used passwords. As you well know, I'm a small town girl, and my sweet hometown has some really interesting facts about it. It's home to an army training base. It's famous for its apples and it has a whole park dedicated to a dog. His name was Beautiful Joe, and he has a giant monument in the middle of this beautiful green space. Growing up, you just knew the story. I suppose it was a bit of a rite of passage. But the park itself was mostly just a place where kids smoked menthol cigarettes with their friends and hid from their parents. It didn't really hit me till later, as usually happens in life, that this was a significant part of our town and a pretty important story. It was inspired by a book written in 1893, and it actually helped raise awareness of animal cruelty at a time when no one was really talking about that. 
So, Beautiful Joe had been terribly abused by his owner. He cut off his ears and his tail, and the dog was rescued by a woman named Margaret's sister-in-law's father. (laughs) Did you get that? Margaret was the author, and that's actually where she first heard the story. She was completely moved by the story and decided to write it down, and the next thing you know, by like 1900 or something, she'd sold almost a million copies. So yeah, I guess it resonated. Since I was a kid, hanging around in the park, it's had a bit of a glow up. They gave Joe's monument a fresh new look, and they also put up two giant slabs of concrete that resemble the Twin Towers to honor all of the service dogs that worked tirelessly for weeks looking for survivors. A lot of my friends have dogs. Two of my siblings have been dog owners, and my niece just got her second dog. They all have their own distinct personalities and quirky traits. My one friend has a Great Dane, and I'm obsessed with him, so of course he wants nothing to do with me. (laughs) I'm doing that thing now that most new parents do. I'm trying to imagine life before Presley. She's small, but she takes up a lot of space in our lives. She's funny and weird, and she makes us actually laugh out loud. She was one of the last puppies to go, and I remember the woman we got her from telling me that she couldn't really understand it because she was so sweet. I was like, okay, sure, but aren't all puppies sweet? But now I get it. There's just this really sweet quality to her. She loves people, and she smiles and wags her whole bum whenever she wants to say hi. I used to get mad when people would walk by my waving babies and not wave back, and now I'm doing the same thing if someone ignores my dog. Clearly, I've lost it. But they love so unconditionally, it's crazy. And the one we got is nice, and she has a really loud and hilarious yawn and super messy hair and turned out toes, and I really, really like her. Is it weird to say she's changed me a little bit? And I think for the better. But I guess that's just what dogs do. For as long as I've ever remembered, I've always wanted a dog. Like always, I would ask for them for birthdays and Christmases and basically any event that you could possibly get a gift for, I would ask for a dog. When I was in high school, I finally got my first dog and when I applied for the application to adopt this beautiful puppy, I said that I've been waiting for 17.25 years and a few days, can't remember exactly how many now, but it was the exact number of years I had been alive. We obviously got the dog because it was a very compelling application. Fast forward to my adult life, obviously wanted another dog. The joy of having a dog in my home was like nothing I've ever known. But my husband grew up in a house without dogs and in a house where dogs lived on farms and dogs had jobs and the jobs weren't to be on Instagram. They were to work and to do things. So my father-in-law was not super into this idea. In fact, we didn't actually tell him we were getting a dog until we knew the dog was actually born. And then when we finally went to go and meet him, He had long shaggy hair and kind of reminded of us of an early young version of my father-in-law who had the nickname Mop. So we kind of thought to ourselves, would it be funny if we named this dog after our father-in-law? So we did. The dog's name is Mop and he is the fur grandson to a human whose nickname is Mop. And it didn't take long before human mop and dog mop became the best of friends. Much to his chagrin, what he thought would be an annoying, yappy little monster turned out to be a bundle of joy that brought him so much company and love and affection. And to this day, when you say mop, both of them come running. And if you look into the quiet kitchen on a weekend that we're all together, you'll see my father-in-law coffee in one hand 
other hand petting the head of the other shaggy little white guy who lives in the house who shares his name. Suffice to say, they've become the best of friends and we wouldn't have it any other way. So my wife and I have fostered two dogs during the pandemic. And one thing that comes up continuously when you take your foster dog to a dog park is people will find out that you're fostering and they'll get so excited. They'll be like, wow, that's so great of you. Like, why do you do it? And I always joke with them and I say, you know, I just do it so people think I'm a great person and... Everyone laughs about that and tends to agree that one of the major benefits of fostering dogs is that everyone will tell you what a great person you are. It is definitely going to come up when you bring a foster dog to a dog park. You almost can't help yourself from telling other people at the park because they'll say, you know, what breed is it? And you'll say, well, it's a foster. Or they'll say, um, what's his name? And you'll say, well, it's a foster. You pretty much answer any question anyone asks you with, well, it's a foster. I'm sure lawyers who do pro bono legal work for the underprivileged wish they could take their clients to the park with them and just wait for people to ask questions. But if that's the kind of thing you're looking for, boy, nothing beats a foster dog. These are mostly jokes, and they're probably coming out of a place of jealousy because uh, before the pandemic, I used to do stand-up comedy for people. I never developed any degree of fame from doing that for many years. Uh, people would never come up to me in public. The second foster dog that we had over the course of the summer was Relu who was an enormous, lovable oaf of a dog that just loved to cuddle. And he was so distinct and noticeable. And at the park one day, someone ran up and was like, oh my God, I know that dog. That's the dog from Instagram. Oh, he's so great. I can't believe I'm seeing Relu in person. And there may be a part of me that deep down is jealous of his notoriety and fame. But he was a great dog and we're glad he found a great home fostering sincerely is a wonderful thing to do and it makes you feel happy and it makes other people think better of you i mean come on dogs all day long if i were to have an aim in life it would be to pet all the dogs that wish to be pet and i want to shine a light on one of the most inspirational dogs that i've ever known of it's a dog that was initially called theodore but theodore sort of resembled a sausage and you know how your dog may have a name, but over time, you just call it what it looks like. So sausage in Greek is Lukaniko, and this dog became known as Lukanikos. But Lukanikos had another name, and it's a name that might ring a bell for you. The Greek riot dog. Remember all those images splashed across the news of the protests in Greece, the anti-austerity protests, the pro-worker protests, the picket lines, people knowing full well that the system had thrown them overboard and they weren't going to stand for it anymore and they were going to take to the streets. Well, if you look at those photos, you'll see a dog right at the front and that dog was Lukanikos, the Greek riot dog. That dog stood between police and the protesters at practically every rally. It was fearless. It was on the right side of history. The cops shot tear gas at the dog multiple times, but he would not be dissuaded. And he truly was a pup for the people. He didn't really have a home. He was a street dog, a stray dog. Lots of organizations and people would take care of the dog when they crossed paths and made sure that it ate well. But Lucanikos was always out there for us. Now, as Lucanikos got older, he had some health problems. A lot of people will tell you, 
that his health problems were directly connected to the amount of tear gas that he was subjected to at all those protests and when the police were shooting at him. Now, like all good fighters, there comes a time when you have to pass the torch. So Luca Nikos partnered with somebody and went off to the country. He passed away at the age of 10 years old in 2014. This is a dog that was nominated for Time's Person of the Year. And when he died, there was a large memorial and burial for him. And all across Athens, murals showing love and honor to the dog that was there for us. Lukanikos, our Greek riot dog. And Lukanikos, Evcharisto, and rest in power. The comments we get the most frequently when we have a foster are things along the lines of, it must be so hard to say goodbye to your fosters, or don't you want to keep them? Or, well, if you have room in your life for a foster, then why don't you just keep this dog? I'm sure I said those things to um, people who were fostering before as well. But now that I've done it a couple of times, I feel a bit differently about the role of the foster, and I, I'm thinking about it quite differently. And I think in the past, I just thought of it as a, a stopgap spot, a place for a dog to live and be cared for in the interim time between the life that they are being uh, rescued from to their forever home and a time when uh, logistics are sorted and paperwork is processed and things like that. And it is that, but it is, I think, a lot more than that as well. And the, the foster plays and a really important role in setting a dog up for success in getting to know a dog, its strengths and its challenges and its needs, and then can pass that information along to the rescue association or to the family that is going to adopt the dog and allows for adopting families to prepare as best as possible so that the dog then can thrive and succeed in their forever home. Sometimes that doesn't take a whole lot of work with some dogs, and sometimes it takes a ton of work with some dogs. But the role of the foster is so critical in the process. And so I'm so, it's always so heartwarming when you see people tell their story of having a foster that they fell in love with and adopted because it turns out that foster had found its forever home and it was meant to be. And those, I love those stories, but I'm glad they don't happen all the time because foster homes are, are so important. They're such an important part of the process overall that they need to be maintained and, um, and recognized, I think. And it feels really good to us to play that role in a dog's life. And it's something that I hope we'll do more of. It's not always easy. It's not always super hard. And it's hard to know which one you're going to get with any particular dog. But it's a really rewarding and positive experience overall to be a part of that dog's life, even if it's a brief part. And uh, we know for sure that the system worked with our dog, Norm, because he was rescued from a life on the streets and then lived with this foster. That foster set him up and set us up for him to live the best life. And now he's the best dog that there ever was. Sorry, all other dogs, but Norm is the best and nobody can tell me otherwise. And he is the light of our lives. And we are so grateful for him, for the Rescue Association, and for the, the foster woman who did such a nice job setting him up for a life with us. I'd have to say that my love of dogs started after I got over being a cat person. Cats are great, but they're more independent. And truth be told, I love all animals. 
I was the kid who was like, no gifts for this birthday party, donations to the Humane Society only. You know, I was actually a pretty shy child, not shy at all anymore, but uh, I really found comfort in the interconnectedness of a dog to human relationship. They rely on us, we rely on them. They need us, we need them. There's nothing better than walking down the street with a dog by your side. It's almost, uh, you know, what I consider my superpower that I'm a dog owner. I can't describe it exactly, but my dog makes me want to be the best version of myself. When I first got into the, the dog business, I, I got into the business because of the business opportunity, first and, and foremost. And I felt like investing in a concept that was sustainable, was financially viable, had purpose, and also, you know, a potential for profit was, was important to me. But that's not to underscore the purpose of what I do and, and why I do it. And to have both purpose and profession tie together under one roof makes this job incredible. I think I opened up Dogtopia for my dog and for all the dogs that deserve the best. You know, business ideas almost always start with necessity. And when I got my dog Che, I couldn't find something that I was truly comfortable and in love with. And so I researched a couple of options and this franchise came across my radar called Dogtopia. And today I'm a multi-unit operator with three locations across Canada. So I've got two in Ontario and one in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where my family roots are. Every dog that comes into daycare has a, has a story and that story often gets revealed in time. But over the course of them coming to Dogtopia, we get to know the families. We get to know the, the pet parents, um, the pups themselves. And there's a couple of stories that have stuck out, you know, sad, funny, crazy, hilarious uh, stories. But one of the most impactful stories that I've had in my entire experience so far is one day we had this dog come in, uh, Nova Scotia Duck Toller Retriever. Their family was going through an extremely challenging time. The mom was in the hospital and they came to us because the mom was allowed to watch the dog on our webcams from her hospital bed. And it brought her a tremendous amount of joy to see her dog experiencing a quality of life that at, at that time she couldn't experience. And I just found that so touching and just really validates why we do what we do and why I love it so much. And to use your terminology, Jenny, this is it, actually, for me. It's, it's dogs. This is a tip, actually. I started looking at shelters and rescue sites a few years ago. The girls and I would visit the Humane Society at least one Sunday every month. I wanted so badly to adopt a dog, but it just wasn't in the cards for us this time. We found a few we liked, but they were gone before we were able to get our paws on them, and then when I met Presley, the deal was definitely sealed. But we have volunteered with Save Our Scruff. We did some dog walking duty with a little cutie named Rodrigo, fresh in from Mexico, and he could only speak Spanish, so you can just imagine the entertainment value of our walks. But there are a ton of rescue organizations and they're doing good work. And hopefully, if you're looking, you can check them out. Thank you to my wonderful friends, Sylvia, Jen, Zoe, Tim, and George Strombolopoulos for their doggone sweet stories. I knew just who to call to get the best doggy tales. Speaking of sweet, I have a very fun deal for you. My friend David, head baker and owner of The Bearded Baker, also a major dog lover, is giving all of my listeners 15% off his amazing cookies. 
He's now shipping outside of Toronto, and he even tested the packaging and the journey, and they arrive fresh and delish, so this offer is for everyone. Go to thebeardedbaker.ca and use the code COOKIESACTUALLY to save 15%. I'm also going to put a link in my stories. Tag me at this is it actually and David at the bearded baker TO when you receive your order because I want to see what you get, obviously. Okay, that's it. If you have an idea for an episode or you want to tell me your story, I would love to hear from you. Drop me a DM or send an email to this is it actually at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now go say something nice to someone. This is it actually. Take a sip and grab a seat. Cause this 